Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to ironradio.org. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson, the owner of Extreme Human Performance. I teach for Globe University, uh, Director of Education for Mindset Performance Institute, although that'll be changing, which we'll get into. Uh, do some work for Eat to Perform and a bunch of other fun stuff. Yeah, that background is going to help us today. Everyone, we're going to talk about setting up your personal environment for behavioral success uh, with specific regards to fat loss, I think. Uh, we've got some news here first and some listener mail. Actually, the listener mail is about bodybuilding competitions, so it sort of ties in as well. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get Kelly, my wife, who's a, a licensed therapist, right, behavioral therapist, on after the break as well. And Mike's background with the Mindset Performance Institute – uh, and that sort of thing. All this is going to come into play, I think. So we're going to try to help people set up uh, their environment, right, uh, to succeed when it comes to fat loss because it's it's not easy. And a lot of these same things you can also apply to probably lean gain as well, but, uh, but I digress. The first thing I wanted to touch on were I came across two papers. Strength and Muscle Sport News. One of them literally is a December 2016 paper, so it's not even out yet. Uh, wow. It's one of those EPUBs, but I've, I've never seen one six months in Time advance. Time six months. Holy yeah. crap. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it, these are about coffee. Uh, this first one, I just, I, it's just interesting from more of a food uh, chemistry, food technology perspective, but it's from the journal Food Chemistry, December 2016, by Lopez Barrera and colleagues. It's about spent coffee grounds. They're actually finding nutritional benefits. And, you know, I just I think that's kind of interesting. Now, watch people start crushing up used coffee grounds and putting them in capsules, you know. <laughs> I mean, talking about a cheap – hey, you know what? We used to do it with whey protein. They used to discard that yeah. stuff, feed it to used pigs. It used to be a waste product, man. Yeah. So uh, spent coffee grounds, an innovative source of colonic fermentable compounds, inhibit inflammatory mediators, at least in vitro. So it says spent coffee grounds are rich in dietary fiber. They can be fermented by colon microbes, producing short-chain fatty acids with the ability to prevent inflammation. I'm not going to go on about this too much, except they looked at a couple of different uh, – they looked at like cytokine production and NO production from macrophages and that sort of thing, inflammatory cells. And they showed a reduction in, in some of these inflammatory compounds and sort of these – if you will, hyperactive macrophages and, and other parts of your uh, inflammatory uh, immune system and response there. So Ooh. their conclusion was that spent coffee grounds exert anti-inflammatory activity that's mediated by these short-chain fatty acids. Again, when your gut bacteria get a hold of them, um, especially the fiber component. 
you, you release these anti-inflammatory mediators, or at least you know settle yourself down as, as far as your gut goes. I almost think about like irritable bowel and that sort of thing. We've had some guests uh. on before who struggle with that, and so I'm, I'm curious where this is going to go. And again, they're focusing on especially those fermentable fibers. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was neat. So here we go. You know, you, first you hear about coffee benefits, and that's what I tend to try to look at in the lab. But then there's green coffee, coffee grounds. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different angles with this coffee research. So pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, the next one is um, this is another 2016 paper, brand spanking new this month, uh, International Journal of Molecular Science. It's by uh, Dominguez, Avila, and colleagues. Uh, the title is Modulation of PPAR Expression and Activity in Response to Polyphenolic Compounds in High-Fat Diets. Now, that's a mouthful. Most people are like, oh, you're losing me, Lowry, but you know, let me back up. So peroxisome proliferator activated receptors, or PPAR, these are little transcription factors. They they help your cells modulate energy metabolism, right? In your liver, adipose tissue, muscle tissue. Well, the the general consensus is that high fat diets negatively impact these little receptors, uh, either their expression or their activity, and that would favor obesity, problems with your blood cholesterol profile, uh, insulin resistance, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, however. The polyphenols that you can see in some vegetables, uh, including coffee, are capable of positively affecting some of these you know, receptors and these pathways. So what they wanted to do was look at the effect of if you consume something that's very rich in polyphenols, does it sort of counteract a higher fat diet? And I thought that could be of interest to a lot of people in the... Uh, the weightlifting community because, you know, low-carb, higher-fat diets are pretty popular, but you don't want to start, I don't know, downgrading some of your, you know, PPAR metabolism and that sort of thing. But anyway, uh, it says, we found that PP from diverse sources, so polyphenols, from diverse sources such as coffee, olives, rice, berries, and others are capable of, of inducing the expression of genes that are involved in a decrease in adipose mass and also liver and serum lipids. Uh, it says, since cells and gut bacteria can transform polyphenols into different metabolites, it's possible that there's some synergy or different you know, antagonistic things that go on. Uh, but anyway, I, I thought it was a neat little exploration. It's brand new. Uh, essentially, can you offset some of the potential downsides of a high-fat diet by eating, you know, things that I think we would all consider pretty healthy. I mean, I can I consume all of these things, some more than others, but coffee, olives, berries, absolutely. So, yeah, especially now with the berries being more in season. Oh, no doubt. I'm freezing batches. I always tweet about that come June of every year, you know. Uh, go get them while they're cheap. You can buy, a, you know, a bucket load, for example, like at Sam's Club, and then... I just I freeze it, and then you. Yeah, got we've them. been we get in the organic ones actually at Costco surprisingly enough, and they're actually really good. Mm. Yep, I I spread them out on a cookie sheet actually because yeah, if you try to freeze them. them in a block, yeah, they're going to freeze into a brick. So I I spray a cookie sheet. I don't even know if you have to spray it necessarily, but they freeze really nice. And then I put them in a giant freezer bag, and I've got them all year round. And so and of course freezing 
it's not really going to hurt the you know polyphenol content and that sort of thing. I've actually looked into that, so pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, makes makes great to toss in some in your oatmeal as you do, or in veggie shakes and things like that too. So it makes it super convenient. Oh, it does. I mean, with shakes, it makes the shakes cold, you know, and with hot oatmeal, like. I swear to God, they should insulate homes with oatmeal. I think I said this before. It <laughs> holds its temperature forever. So That's I put true. these frozen blueberries in there, and it is a battle of the giants, right? Because blueberries, are, they're perfect. They're rock solid once you freeze them. But just at the time they thaw, the oatmeal is warm and ready to eat. So yeah, it's a perfect indicator. You spread them out so you get that nice, cool, even effect everywhere. Not too hot, not too cold everywhere. Yeah, yeah it works great when you're out of time in the morning, you know, and you can't wait for that oatmeal to cool down. <laughs> so, okay, uh, next, I got an interesting email from a listener, and let me share some of this. First, there's a there's a nice little comment here. I'll withhold his name because I didn't get a chance to uh, specifically ask, but I've said this before. If you send us an email, if you don't specifically say withhold my name, your first name is up for grabs. Because, let's face it, how far can that really identify you anyway? It's not like it's your social security number. Yeah. Anyway. Um, he said, I'm glad I'm able to give back. This is someone who decided to be a supporting member, so thank you very much. You know who you are, by the way. This is addressing bodybuilding posing. But I appreciate everything you and the rest of the guys do. Uh, there have been multiple topics I didn't even know I wanted to know or needed to know that you guys have brought up in the show. It's extremely helpful for me listening to real scientific studies and real life experience, especially since the main source of information for me came from YouTube and random websites that are quite questionable to say the least. I'm glad my coach suggested Iron Radio. So pretty cool. Nice. Uh, that's That really stri strikes home to me, right? Because that's I think that's why guys like you and I and Phil, all of us, uh, that's why we do this. You know, that there's, there's so much nonsense. In fact, you know, I... I was talking to somebody recently, and uh, essentially I was trying to explain what, why we do what we do. Like he said, if there's one tip you could give to fitness people, what would it be? Uh, and I said, go get yourself a legitimate like freshman 101 weight training book or sports nutrition book so you can read through that and have a framework that when you go to one of these websites or you see a YouTube video, does that you, know, you have a place to put it in, in your framework. You know, because otherwise people, they get very well learned on specific topics, but then, then they have the huge holes or mistakes. And so I think having a chance to do it again, I would have amended that and said, go read a book, but also start doing something immediately. You know, even yeah. if it's just buy an empty barbell. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so back to the question at hand, he was asking about uh posing tips he says uh i know everyone's extremely busy but if you can answer this i really appreciate it um i am currently in the middle of prep for my first bodybuilding competition everything is going great so far but i've noticed that i really don't know how to properly pose my process in learning right now is through watching the top bodybuilders from today and from the past uh, that's actually a good idea I am in need uh, of a posing coach, but I really don't know what I should be looking for. I'm picking one. I want to make sure I'm learning the correct technique. So in the future, if I want to continue competing, uh, I'm not creating a bad foundation. So he says, I'm 15 weeks out from the show. Uh, I've been using videos on YouTube's to, uh, YouTube to learn, as well as videotaping myself to get an outside perspective. So 
So I think that's also good. I know that's something you do with clients for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, my prep coach has given me a few tips here and there, but he was very honest in saying he didn't know the details on bodybuilding posing and suggested getting a specialized coach. So long story short, what should I look for in picking a coach? And am I, uh, if I'm going to compete in a small show in a bantamweight division? So I appreciate any knowledge you can shine on this. I just sort of in a fury flurry here, I responded to him with six things. So here are six things. If you're thinking about doing competitions, let's face it, it's really hard to go learn about these kinds of things like in a textbook. There's some things a textbook's not going to tell you. Um, The first tip I would give for anybody who wants to compete in physique display is something that I started doing about mid-career, and I wish I would have done it sooner. And that is jot down a series of stick figures, maybe a dozen poses or so. It depends on how much time they're allotting you. Is it 60 seconds? Is it more or less than that? But a series of poses, You don't again, you don't have to be an artist here, that you can sort of build into a choreography, right? So you want how do you want to open up, you know, your first shot? You know, then what about your next shot? And, you know, and you want to show both sides. You want to show your rear, front. You, you want to show the judges everything you have. Uh, but also, I think, once you get those 12 or so little stick figures drawn on a piece of paper, uh, then I, I would draw arrows between them and make a note about how I want to transition, right? Because the judges don't just see you doing a front double bicep shot and then a side chest. They're, how do you move from one to the other? And even watching old movies like Pumping Iron, you get an idea that the judges aren't just watching you in the specific poses, but also in the transitions. So include those transitions would be the next step. Uh, Remember judges, and this is something I didn't learn until late in my career. I didn't think about it as much. Judges are well below the stage. They're below your level. So you might want to consider filming with the camera down a little bit and see how you look to them. Uh, Maybe it's a little minor, but it's something to think about. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and again, with the camera, if you're already recording stuff, which I think is great, that, that might be a good idea. Uh, maybe this one's obvious for most people, but choose shots that are, accentuate strengths or hide weaknesses. Like if you're wide-waisted, do as many twisting shots as you can. You know, uh, If your legs are a little soft or they're not very big, do some more lunging poses because then they're kind of taken out of the, the focus, right? So there's lots of things that you can do with that sort of thing. I remember Franco Colombo, he used to uh, do a lot of lunging shots when he would pose against Arnold. Of course, they were friends, but that way Arnold couldn't dominate him with height because he was short and Arnold was tall, so he would do lunging shots. Actually pretty clever. Yeah. Um, So uh, also, and this is just personal uh, from me, but choose music that you really love. It has to be meaningful to you, I think. Please go outside the normal top 40 rap or... (laughs) <laughs> you know, do something a little bit more meaningful. Like, I always like the Phantom of the Opera, um, you know, stuff like that. But it depends on what kind of taste you have and what kind of physique. But I would be cautious if you're a – like, I've seen lightweights, really thin. I mean, they, they're ripped, but they're not very big. And they'd pose to something like Flight of the Valkyries or Carmina Burana, okay. you know. And it's like, that's Dorian yates size music, guys. That's yeah. set, that looks a little presumptuous, you know, for a 148-pound guy to be, you know, looks like he's posing among the clouds of the gods and, you know, maybe not 
quite there yet. <laughs> I don't know size wise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, I, that's not to insult the smaller guys. If, they, if you love that kind of stuff, do it. I would just—I've seen that before, and it comes across. A, it can almost be comical if you're not careful. Um, and then uh, finally, practice daily with your posing practice. I'd say at least six weeks out. And this is something that I learned later too: is practice not just in front of a mirror, but without a mirror, um, yeah. uh, because you don't have that feedback, and it changes everything so practice daily you know put together your 12 shots or however many you you can fit in your time allowance you got to check with your you know um organization but yeah practice at least half the time i would think without the mirror it's because you're completely running on proprioceptive cues you can't you can't see yourself in the mirror and honestly you tend to obsess too once you start getting getting in shape you're kind of appreciating your how lean you're getting in the mirror instead of focusing on the choreography a little and you know what some people would say oh lowry this is all a dead art guys just run from one side of the stage to the other hitting most musculars and <laughs> unfortunately that is often the case even with a lot of pros but it, this is not a guest posing uh, i do wish that the the posing routine carried more weight you know like you could actually pull butt past someone that was bigger than you uh, or even more ripped if you could pose really well and you were at least close in your conditioning. But I'm not sure that's really the case. I think it used to be the case, but I say be a professional about it, right? Make it, um, make it the sport that you wish it was, even if the judges aren't demanding it. Obviously your, your size and your level of leanness are paramount, but I would practice these things, uh, and there's some, anyway, there's six tips on, you know, I guess Lowry's tips on how to pose. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Um, I mean, I don't do any direct posing stuff with clients, so some of the physique clients that um, I've worked with, the, the things that I do with them are, like you said, making sure that I build that into their training program. So I'll just allot a specific amount of time to start, and then that'll start even a little bit going up, even eight weeks out. Because it's, there's not, nothing looks worse than someone who's trying to hit a pose on stage and you can tell it just doesn't look easy. And yes. you can just see them get fatigued. You're just like, oh, Stumbling, man. fatigued, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's something you can definitely control a fair amount. And it doesn't take – if you think about how much time it took you to, you know, build whatever muscle and, you know, get down in terms of leanness – you know, posing doesn't take that much total time compared to everything else that you put into it. You know, so just adding a few more weeks of just at least practice so that you don't look like you're fatigued as all heck and you look like you're actually semi-enjoying the process. Um, and then I just get pictures from people. Like you said, video is super helpful um, because that way they're not looking at the mirror per se, right? So they can even video themselves think about, okay, how did this pose look? Where do I think I was off? Do I think I was good? Write down a little piece of paper and then watch the video and see how close they are, right? So you're trying to get your, like you said, proprioception to match up to what you expect. And then if they're new and they don't really have much of an idea for posing, I actually just refer them out to either a local posing coach um, or one person I've used is actually online, uh, Chrissy Z. So if you go to goddessathlete.com, uh, she does posing sessions over Skype and does a very good job. Oh, yeah. Um, so I referred uh, a new client who have never did her first figure competition. So I referred her out to her because I'm not a posing expert. I mean, I can tell you 
extreme basics, but in terms of you know what looks good, what doesn't look good. And then also from my standpoint, I like to have external people do that with newer competitors. So even when they send in you know pictures and stuff, obviously I kind of know what I'm looking at. But I'll have a couple other people once in a while that I'll bounce it off and say, hey, here's the pictures. What do you think? Right. So it's not always me kind of critiquing someone who's put in a lot of time and effort to get to that point all the time, too. Um, and plus, I know I'm going to miss stuff. You know, I'm not opposing coach. That's not my expertise. So having them work with someone who does that a lot more oh, yeah. uh, just works out so much better. You know, Christine Bongiovanni, she's a big contest promoter yeah. up there in Minnesota. She's in Minnesota, I think. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. And she does some of that, too. She does in person, though. I don't know if she does stuff mm-hmm. online. But Skype's very clever, though. That's that's interesting. Because, yeah, I mean, there's everything from suits to skin oh, yeah. skin prep. I mean, from yep. not just coloration, but the kind of spray you use and you know, you see a lot of stuff backstage at bodybuilding shows. No Pam, you know, because it gets all over everything. And <laughs> yeah. pe- people still use it because it gives you nice sheen. And uh, vasodilator sprays, do you want to fool with that stuff or not? I mean, there's so much. Uh, I would go buy my posing trunks and, and skin prep products literally like three months out. So it's oh, just yes. not on my to-do list. It's not even on the stress list, you know. Yeah, and it's worth paying the extra money. I mean, I have people locally that I've referred to um, just – that's all they do and i usually warn competitors at first that it's going to be expensive you know especially like a lot of the suits for women are not cheap but you know like you said if you're putting the time and effort and doing everything else i just want them to know that ahead of time and some of them get booked up you know pretty fast you know so as soon as i start working with the client i tell them you know hey go talk to this person talk to this person talk to this person so that you know what you know your shoes and your suit and all that stuff are and one you can if you need to have changes or alterations and pick it out and right. you just don't want to be messing with any of that stuff at the last minute. You're going to be stressed out of your mind enough as it is. Yeah. I've had some women uh, and I didn't realize this, right? I'm, I'm a guy. I never thought about this. And, but I've had some women say, Oh my God, my suit was like $325. I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. shit. Yeah. Mine was like $28, you <laughs> know, <laughs> my trunks. So yeah, there's there's a lot to consider. You know how well you tan, how much real tan versus fake you want to go because everybody's going to have some mix there. I think um, anyway. Oh, and as far as posing specifically, a lot of competitions, even small local ones, they put videos and photos from last year, so you can look at your weight class and see how they're posing. Get some ideas. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, or even plan your show uh, more than a year out. Go to this year's event then compete in next year's because you could walk out of there thinking I can take some of those guys, you know, or you could leave there saying I got a ways to go. So specific show stuff, I think, uh, as well. But anyway, so yeah, there's some general tips on physique display. Uh, A lot of stuff as far as success goes these days is leanness, even more than size uh, at at the amateur level. I almost hate to say that. I wish it was more of a, a mix uh, they don't even sometimes look for balanced physiques like they used to. Like you can have somebody, if he's got big chest and biceps, he's got no calves at all, like toothpicks, and he'll place highly. I'm like, what's up with that? That's not the ideal. But uh, I don't know. Uh, different judges, you know, there is some subjectivity. So, Yeah, and that's even asking the judges for specific feedback, you know, once you're done is Absolutely. extremely useful. Yep. And if they tell you you're holding too much water, that translates into you're probably just not lean enough that's right i agree with that. <laughs> right no for sure 
Okay. Rarely is it the dehydration issue, which is oh right. Oh, on a whole nother show. Oh, you're right. That is a whole nother show because so many people they screw up in the last week. You know they they've done all this hard work and then they their head's not quite right and they screw up. And that's why I think having a coach is just so important. Like I said, this it's one of the things you can't with all of our talk about proprioception or practice and, and all that's good. I mean, you have to t- hold your gut in and keep it in and keep it tight. That's a real trick, man. I'm telling you, uh, you, you even have to be conditioned, right? Because if you don't practice six or eight weeks out, like I remember the day after I would compete, I'd be sore in places. I didn't know I had because you're oh, squeezing sure. so hard and you're so intense. And uh, like you said, you get to the point that you can enjoy it and even be flexible. Like if you miss a pose, just roll into the next something else, you know, and, that's where practice comes in, but there's also the conditioning aspect as far as, yeah, can you physically handle doing this, which could be for a half an hour as they compare you to all these other people. So yeah. it's just a different, it's a different uh, specificity. You know, it's a different task than the gym. So, okay. Um, I'll tell you what, we are going to go to break here. And when we come back again, we're going to talk about setting up your environment uh, for successful behaviors. And again, this could tie into the idea of contest prep. It could be if you're just trying to lean down, that sort of thing. We'll touch on the idea of template workouts and diets versus the way that most professionals do it. I mean, we need to have some respect, right? There are professionals like behavioral therapists. That's a that's a license in itself, you know, or nutritionists. How do they go about it? So we'll talk about that when we get back. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, 
keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson here. I'm here with Dr. Lonnie Lowry and Kelly Lowry. And we're going to talk about kind of how mindset and behavioral change fits into your fat loss plans. Um, so for people who are a little bit new to this area, as Lonnie and I were talking about at the beginning of the show, I mean, that's a whole topic and area of study in and of itself. Um, you've got people that kind of study it a little bit more from the neurology side, and you've got people that do a little bit more, I would say, from the the counseling side. And everything now, from what I've seen, is kind of merging uh, together. So it's yeah. not necessarily something that you can get from the 18-year-old YouTube expert who lives in his basement. So we went out and found an actual expert to bring her on here and talk to us about it. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, Kelly and I were talking this morning, and we're looking at different definitions for cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the techniques Kelly uses. She'll be quick to point out that she's not specifically a cognitive behavioral therapist, but it's one of the the techniques she uses, right? Talk therapy mm-hmm. is legitimate, and people study this. So, uh, you found what Mayo Clinic was maybe the best. Yeah, the Mayo Clinic had a really inclusive definition. Cognitive behavior therapy, or CBT, is a common type of talk therapy or psychotherapy. You work with a mental health counselor, psychotherapist, or therapist in a structured way, attending a limited number of sessions. CBT helps you become aware of inaccurate or negative or cognitive errors, as some refer to it, negative thinking, so you can view challenging situations more clearly and respond to them in a more effective way. CBT can be a very helpful tool in treating mental health disorders such as depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, or an eating disorder. But not everyone who benefits from CBT has a mental health condition. It can be an effective tool to help anyone learn how to better manage stressful life situations or make some positive changes. So just, I guess, for a little bit of background, uh, Kelly's been on the show before, uh, but Kelly has worked with a very broad spectrum of clients, uh, all of them needing a helper, right? One of the things that I think is kind of cool, they, they talk about therapists like Kelly, it's, they call them helpers because all they're really, one of the main things they're doing is providing a neutral sounding board. You know, when people start saying something that's repetitively negative or there's something in their environment that's just uh, an obstacle, they point it out, right? And so help people address it in a, from a, a position of strength and support, I guess. Well, we help people help themselves. Okay, there you go. So this obviously rolls into wellness and fitness. Like Kelly was saying from that definition, it's not just uh, for people with diagnosed 
major depressive disorder or something like that or with uh, abuse of um, like alcohol and other drugs and that sort of thing. In fact, I just found a paper this morning. Kelly and I were looking at it. Um, they were using CBT with healthy lifestyle enhancement, they called it. Uh, the author is Jalalian and colleagues, uh, Journal of Clinical Child Adolescent Psychology. So this is brand new this month, but they were just they were trying to add first there i think they're kind of focusing cbt toward lifestyle changes and not just the regular therapy for depressive disorders they were doing this with obese adolescent kids and they were finding some positive results right when they take a more holistic approach uh, not only do the kids get leaner or or at least manage their weight don't gain more um, it, i think it helps with the the depressive symptoms as well and to me that's that again it's sort of a holistic thing how do you how do you tease apart, like you were saying, Mike, the neurology from the yeah. psychology from the the general lifestyle of someone? I mean, it's like, in other words, you want to start a 16 or 20 week diet, I think, from a fat loss perspective, from a position of strength that what what you set up in your everyday environment has got to matter, right? What kind of triggers are there? What kind of support structure do you have spousal support? Do you have kids that you're bringing in all kinds of, you know, naughty foods into the house? And again, <laughs> I don't like the value judgment, but you get the idea. So let me ask you this, Mike. So a lot of what's in fitness is template-based. You know, here's a periodized workout. Here's a low-carb diet plan to get you ready for a contest. Um, what are your thoughts on those individual type plans versus the way maybe a dietitian or a counselor might do that? Yeah, I think some of the template approaches can work. I think it just depends upon what they were doing before. So if they're, you know, subsisting on cheese doodles and large 7-Eleven Slurpees with no ice, and even the worst template in the world is probably going to be better than what they were doing before. Um, I think the hard part about it is that the the templates, especially if they're very rigid, or it's uh you know especially over a time period, you know thirty day, here's your list of naughty versus nice foods. You can definitely I think help people move in the right direction and and get them going. The hard part and the thing I always ask them is, what do you do after that specific time frame? And then what happens if you sort of eat something that was not on your list? So I think a lot of times the people are looking for the correct answer, right? What's right versus wrong. And I think those programs provide that to them. But I think the hard part is there's not really a lot of talk about the behavioral-based approach or what to do at that point. So I've even asked clients outright, you know, do you want something that's a little bit more behavioral-based? You know, I'll look at your three-day nutrition log and we may focus on, you know, specific types of carbohydrates or more protein or whatever it is. That's kind of generally one thing versus do you want to log everything that you eat in something like MyFitnessPal and we can make, you know, more adjustments and tweaks that way. Um, a lot of times that just comes down to their personality too. You know, if there's someone who wants to do all that stuff and they're probably already doing it, then that's just an easier route to go. If there's someone who just the thought of even logging all their food wants to make them quit, yeah, forcing them and berating them with a stick all the time to log their food is probably not going to get them going in the right direction yeah, very fast. Yeah. You know, I will concede that 
ultimately, when I would get ready for contests, in the last, I don't know, two months maybe, it became increasingly important that I had a pretty specific plan. You know, this oh, many sure. grams of protein, this many grams of carbs, and this many grams of fat across, like, what I had. I think I had four meals during the day or maybe five meals. And, you know, it was very specific. Uh, but those macros, I mean, there's lots of ways to get those, you know. So in the morning, maybe my 30 to 50 grams of carbohydrates were from oatmeal and berries, you know, and that, and that sort of thing. Or the protein was from whole eggs and egg whites. Or you get the idea of different foods to meet that. So it, it does sort of necessarily move in a template approach. But I wanted to ask Kelly, do you ever see templates professionally like it's like i'm feeling depressed or i have this behavioral goal you i'm guessing you guys don't use templates A- actually yes we do oh you do we there are whole books treatment planners and but it's it gives you choices you know say um a person says i have mild depressive symptoms related to we can say, we can say wait Okay, so they identify their cognitive errors or their barriers in changing their weight. And then we tweak it to fit them. I mean, even though you have a template, you are always adjusting things to suit that particular individual. So, so you, yeah, you just individualize it mm-hmm. for that specific person, right. meet their needs. It makes sense. I mean, even in like the nutrition care process, and I mean, it can medical nutrition therapy and all these different things that dietitians do, it's very individualized. But at the same time, there is sort of a, a structure on how you, when you sit someone down, what do you go through when you do sort of an intake or you do an assessment? Like when I would do an assessment uh, as part of the process, you know, what are some of the things that I want to look at? I mean, you have assessing something before you start planning is generally a good idea. It's true in strength and conditioning. It's true in nutrition it's true in behavior therapy. Like, where are you right now? Because otherwise, I mean, if someone's not ready for change, setting specific goals is folly, right? Because they might not even be motivated or ready to do it. You know what I mean? Or they might want fat loss up to a certain point, but I'm not sure, you know, they're entirely ready to do that. So anyway, it's, it is interesting, right? There's always this, even when there's a template, you're always individualizing like, right. like you're saying. Right, right. And Lonnie, one resource on that that I've recommended to a lot of people that's dirt cheap is the old school book on Amazon on motivational interviewing. Um, It's obviously a technique, but it's something I've used a fair amount. I think you can buy it for literally probably less than 10 bucks or something now. And it's uh, exactly that, right? So a lot of times you're asking someone, here's a, I'll sometimes give people a choice, right? We can either do X or we can you know, eat more protein or we can maybe decrease carbohydrates. And I'll ask them, which one of those do you like better? And then ask them to rate it on a scale of how easy is that change to implement, right? And if they say it's, I want them to say, oh, it's so easy that I'm kind of insulted you asked, right? And you want to set it up so that they agree that it's easy and then monitor them going forward instead so of we again, admit going that back we're to manipulating. Say that again. I said, we admit that we manipulate. Oh, totally. Right. <laughs> Cause that's our job, right? We're trying to get people to go in a specific direction. And I, I think it's 
the thing that took me the longest thing was to realize that it, it's okay to to rig the system in their favor and to get them to sort of buy in and then hold them accountable and make sure they're going in the right direction instead of having something set in my mind where, oh my gosh, they got to do this one thing. I'm just going to keep you know yelling at them or doing whatever to get them to do it when there's you know multiple paths. Yeah, I'm always harping on graduating uh, university students. Like they're they get to the point where they're seniors and they're they have a pretty good handle on how to do basic fitness assessments. They have a uh, at least some handle, I think, on programming and that sort of stuff. But they just launch into this goal setting and programming mode. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and I'm always like, listen, you know, th- we need to borrow from a page from the counselors here about, you know. Setting the stage a little bit is someone the readiness to change the confidence you know, in your ability to do these things. I mean, there are so many things lifestyle wise that are going to set up uh, fat loss efforts to succeed or fail. I mean, from the amount of stress you have, uh, sleep. You know, like I said, there's enablers in your environment, and there's ways you have to deal with them. Like, what's your plan on on dealing with them? If you're the only person in the house, I mean, Chris Shugart writes an interesting thing every year. He reruns an article on the T Nation website about his, you know, interactions with family members come holiday time. And, you know, like, oh, get a life. And, you know, and of course, now, <laughs> but he's prepared responses like, what kind of life? Like, what you've got, you know, you pudgy bastard, you know, and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So, but having said that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff to set up. I mean, when I, I've taken a lot of like, uh, nutrition intervention forms from different hospitals and whatnot. And there's so many things that go into that that we've given this a lot of thought. So when sometimes when I hear a specific person, a trainer, even a chiropractor, different people, and they, they come up with this sort of homebrew intake or assessment Perfect. sheet or whatever, uh, it's like, well, listen, a lot of this stuff has really been thought about for a long time. Uh, you know, what meds you're on, what what kind of uh, medical history you have. I mean, there's a huge number of variables that go into this. Um, I, I would even include some of my own just tangential additions. Like, do you purposely try to recover, you know, because being on uh, like dietary stimulants and uh, running hard all that time, being in a calorie deficit and that sort of stuff, that, that'll wear on you. You know, what are your what are you going to do about these things? You know, so you got to have some of that, even family history. I mean, if there are diabetes in your, in your family history or sleep disorders or irritable bowel syndrome, or, you know, there's so many things that go into those sorts of uh, assessments. And I, I, I guess I'm just saying we need to have some appreciation that people go to school for this. You know, you can go all the way through school with some of these things. And instead of, like you said, Mike, the fitness industry seems to be built on the uh, early twenties, kind of person who's very fit maybe they're just genetically you know very fit or structured looking and then they start dispensing advice like here's what i do you should do it too and that's folly you know because of all the the different behavioral things but let me touch on i I got a hard question for you mike maybe it's not for you but (laughs) uh dietary supplements if you're going to get lean i mean that's part of our our lifestyle uh are they necessary to get really lean? Yeah, I would say are they required? I would say no, but do they make a lot of things, especially if you're going to you know, step on stage, things of that nature, much easier? I think that they do, right? Whether it's a convenience of sort of the whole food type stuff from you know fish oil to creatine to whey protein and protein bars, 
um, to you know just the use of more of the the stimulant uh, fat burner type products. I think those are actually more useful for making sure your performance doesn't drop as hard because yeah. your calories are low, your stress is high, and if your performance starts just utterly tanking, right, you're decreasing that stimulus to hold on to a lot of the muscle you're trying to hold on to while losing fat. Um, which is why I'm a big fan of measuring uh, heart rate variability, you know, your body's response to stress. So if I see someone who's maybe 12 weeks out from a show, like a physique-based show, and all of a sudden their HRV is going bonkers and they're like, oh, I need to use more pre-workouts and it's quite a ways out, I know something's off, right? I know that maybe I'm putting too much training stress on them, Mm -hmm. maybe their nutrition, maybe I lowered their calories a little bit too aggressively, maybe there's family things going on, maybe their sleep is crap, right? So I think having those indicators um, set up because you don't want them to be four weeks out and just utterly burnt out and they're like, I don't even know if I want to do this, right? You want to Absolutely. try to hold on to those things as long as you can. And yes, you know, performance and things like that are going to erode. Yes, they're going to be a lot more stressed than what they normally were, but you want those to be kind of towards the end. And that's kind of how I view supplements too, right? If you have to use a fat burner like 12 to 16 weeks out to just get through your training – Man, come four, six weeks out, you're going to probably be in a world of hurt. Right, you got nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah, where are you going to go then, right? And you're already doing your max amount of cardio and everything else. It's, uh... (laughs) You know, I imagine (laughs) that's true. a long talk. Right. I I think that's true with behaviors, supplements. Like, you've got to have a progression model. You know, you don't just... I've seen bodybuilders cut all their carbohydrates on... The first week of a 20-week diet, I'm like, oh, you're done, God. man. You're, th- this is not going to yeah. work for you. If you get on stage, you're going to be 80 pounds lighter, and you're going to look like hell. Yeah. You know. Now, Kelly, what do you think about behaviors? I mean, I imagine that beha- the behavioral progression has to be there. Like, start small so you can progress somewhere, whether it's, you know, like maybe you start by just not eating your first month. is just no junk food or, you know what I mean, or try to get your sleep in, in order. Or How would you deal with that? Well, I agree with you. I mean, I totally say start small, start realistic, s- simple changes that you know that you can make and stick with. I often use the analogy, you cannot start at the bottom landing of stairs and go from the bottom to the top without hitting all the steps in between. Because it, it there's no magic bullet. There's no magic pill. There's, there's just no magic solution you have to take time it took you time to get where you are so if you want to make changes to maybe at some point in time before that how much time did you put in to getting to where you are today you have to take at least that much time you have so that's one place to start considering you know yeah i've been at this a long time i can make this change but it's going to take that same amount of time. Right. That's actually why I'm a, I'm a fan of pretty long diets, 20-week, sometimes 24-week. Uh, you can start feeling pretty beat up, but it gives you a chance. I mean, I think the first month, for example, a lot of the behavioral changes you make, they're not that meaningful physiologically necessarily. You know, you're just getting something in place. It's not like there's going to be some dramatic physique change in the first couple of weeks, but you're getting stuff in place. Let me give you an example. You can tell me if you agree or disagree, but... Uh, 
I was this is through the the actual client of a psychologist, but it was a pediatric nutrition. They were trying to get the the kid to eat more vegetables, and they literally said, "Just start with one pea on her plate." I mean, so you see what I mean? Where that's purely behavioral. She's just trying to overcome the initial obstacle that is peas are bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? As opposed to uh, thinking that that one pea is going to really do anything for her health. So it's one of those steps in between, like you're yep. saying, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is kind of, Kelly can probably confirm that, like BJ Fogg stuff, where it's, you know, very small incremental changes. And to me, what I always find just utterly fascinating is the rate at which people can do things. So most of the behavioral change I've just personally seen is the very small incremental type progress. But you can also see extremely rapid changes that do stick um, in some cases, right? So you think of like, um, quitting smoking or someone who for whatever reason decides that they're going to live a healthy lifestyle and in like one week they go to the gym, they throw out half the crap they're eating in their house, they start walking and those behaviors actually stick. Now that's usually the exception, not the rule and I don't recommend people start with that method but to me I've always been fascinated about how people can do and be successful on both ends of that spectrum too, which is just very interesting. You, you know, when you talk about ends of the spectrum, I mentioned Chris Sugar earlier, you know, that velocity diet that he's sort of promulgated for years, it's basically of the approach. And I've actually found studies, not specifically looking, but stumbled on them that support this idea that this sort of um, blast or dust idea that some people are so mm-hmm. all or none and that... It, Starting a diet with like literally six weeks or eight weeks of nothing but protein shakes with some fiber in them, it, it it's almost like a reset button on your behaviors because you can't keep reinforcing those cheese puffs and that Coke, you know, at midnight kind of thing. And you just you just wipe the slate clean and you could make some progress. Now, the physiology literature would go back and forth. Back in the day, they'd say that those types of extreme very low calorie diets or you know almost a yo-yo diet very negative you're going to gain back even more fat than you start and there are some truth to that but you can also see a softening in the literature sometime that you know maybe this is not all bad you know if you feel like you're really in a rut um jotting down each one of these things that probably matter to your leanness not forgetting sleep you know meal frequency macronutrients uh people in your life that come and go, you know, moods, do you do emotional eating, all this sort of stuff, write down all these things, kind of rank yourself a little bit where you are, you know, and, and then progress from there, you know, see what you need the most help with and that kind of stuff. And if you are the kind of person who needs to totally hit the reset button, uh, I'll be honest, it's not for everybody. And I think you need to do some individual assessments just to make sure it's safe. But that works for a lot of people, I think, to get the ball, the the ball rolling, you know, and then they transition into something that's uh, got a little bit more solid food and that kind of stuff. But yeah, and on on that, I'd be interested in Kelly's opinion on this too. I've I've often wondered if those are the people that are just so utterly stuck before that whether they're conscious or unconsciously have associated that nothing will work for them. Right, So the fact that you could take six weeks of a more extreme approach and show them that their old mindset that nothing works is actually not true 
now they have you know a better hopefully more dynamic mindset and then that will then carry through forward i've often wondered if that's a bigger driver than the the physiology which just kind of comes along for the ride if you have any thoughts on that i think it depends on the person that initial mindset that they come in with you know i mean if they really want to make a change but you're just saying okay you're just going to start somewhere you know how about trying something really radical if they're open to it then great but sometimes you get that person that says well i say i want to make a change but i'm not willing to do anything to do so right you know i mean and coming from a more agency-based uh mental health i mean we do have clients that come in they don't want to make the change they're forced to be there so Uh, you can't make a person change yeah i think in fitness a lot of times people they want the ultimate goal but they haven't really thought this through right you know yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know but uh, i do think the interesting thing about these the radical like ramp up kinds of diets and, and that kind of stuff uh you know, like you were saying, Mike, maybe some behaviors are just so entrenched, but people will often talk about how small behavior changes can stick and big ones like this can't. But you're sort of acknowledging that it's not not for the long haul, right? right? I, I, I wrote up some articles years ago for T Nation about dieting for the long haul, you know, versus competition date diets, right? I think that's what's very unique about bodybuilders is that they try to get extremely lean and they're totally okay that this is a limited time frame and they're going to put on plenty of fat when they're done, you know, uh, and, you know, almost that uh, concept of the reverse diet and stuff. And when I work with clients, actually, that's one of the, which is rare, but I actually plan in at least a month of refeed and sort oh, of yeah. slowly reverse back to some normal you know conditions but again they're well aware that they're going to go back to an off-season diet and they're okay going back up to you know 18 percent body fat a lot of them not all of them but it's you know that it's temporary right because it breaks that behavioral rule like this is a giant change that cannot last okay so it won't last but in taking a chance of trying something really radical making huge dietary changes you might find certain things that you can stick with for the long haul so it's mm-hmm. it's giving yourself that opportunity to find those golden nuggets that you can use continually. Right, yeah. One thing you mentioned, Lonnie, too, about competitors is that's the other reason I sound like I'm a shill for HRV, but it's one thing I use to show them where their stress is. And I presented about this with uh, Lane Norton and Dr. Dom and those guys at ISSN a couple of years ago, is that they understand that all the stress that they've accumulated does not disappear the second they step off of the stage. But I think it's just kind of human nature to think that, oh, I'm back to normal now. Even though if you ask them, they know that they're not. So I think having them look at actual data that shows, okay, here's where you were you know, 12 weeks out. Here's where you are now. Even though the show ended a week ago, your body still has a fair amount of residual stress just from the whole process. Yeah. Right. So just yeah. making them aware of that, that it's, you know, not like a rubber band where it's going to snap back to where you were in day one. Right. It's going to, you know, take some time. We need to do some specific stuff, get you back to, you know, more of a quote unquote normal weight in a, a safe and efficient manner, too, so that it just doesn't swing all the way to the other extreme. 
Right. You know, I can tell you my personal experience has always been, although there's an element of metabolic momentum across a diet, I think that was one of Mike Menser's terms, actually, that, uh-huh. you know, things start to roll because you get all this positive stuff in place. You start feeling really good and positive about what's coming up and, you know, all the, the physique changes. But in many ways, maybe especially as I got older, but I think always you kind of throw yourself, lunge across the finish line a little bit. You know, you're... You've been on a hypocaloric sure. diet for so long that injuries, little nagging things set in. You're kind of strung out because you have been using different dietary stimulants, you know, pre-workouts and coffee and that kind of stuff. And you could try to do what you can to enhance your sleep with, you know, zinc, magnesium or, you know, melatonin or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, you do kind of lunge across that. And you're right. You know, we always talk about that when you learn new behaviors or a new lift or something it takes time to build these pathways and these structures. And I think, yeah, for the, after doing this for 20 weeks, especially of that last eight, as it becomes so intense that, yeah, you, that, that a lot of this stuff is still in place. You know, you, stress hormones are still elevated. Your nervous systems is still in a certain gear, you know, and that sort of stuff. And it's a good point. What you said about your, your body, you don't just lunge across the finish line and then everything is peace and relaxing on a, you know, on the beach with a margarita in your hand, you know. Yeah, and that's the same for anyone who does any, you know, higher level or even just local competitions, right? You have everything that leads up to that day, you know, that day or two days if you're doing Strongman or some other events or even CrossFit. A lot of accumulated stress on top of all the other stress you had, you know, to get there, you know. So expecting yourself to, and Phil's talked about this a lot too, you know, just go back to, you know, really good performance the next day or even a couple of days or even a week is just kind of an unrealistic expectation too. Yeah. Well, Phil would always talk about getting what he calls the Olympic flu, you know, yeah. like, literally <laughs> it just shows we didn't even mention your immune system and how that's probably oh, taxed. Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. And in fact, you know, I wish I would have done a little bit of HRV monitoring. It's easier now, but yeah, you know, to give me some clues because I would always use questionnaires you know, there's a great yep. book called Enhancing Recovery. Uh, guys like Kelman and Kenta uh, do a lot of this research, but they actually – I used a spreadsheet, you know, and, and I would log how much – in fact, I've even offered this on Iron Radio before for free. It's just a little Excel spreadsheet, but I would log my effort, my, like, rate of perceived exertion over this last week, and then I would see what kind of recovery efforts I was trying to put in place. To, I don't know, just to get, like, an accountant sheet balance of how stressed I was, but it would have been nice to have something – a little bit more objective, maybe, you know, like a HRV kind of assessment, I guess. But Yeah, and I like using both, right? So on the the one I use from my athlete, you can fill out in the morning little slider dials that say, how was your sleep, how was your fatigue, um, training, nutrition, that type of thing. And then when I get the output from clients, I'll have their resting heart rate, their HRV, and then I'll have some qualitative indicators also, right? So if they start reporting, eh, my sleep's been crap for the past three days, I can look and see, oh, what happened to their actual stress level? Then you can go back and say, hey, you know, look at this. Did you realize when you, you know, sleep less, you become more stressful? Which most of the time they would say, yeah. But there's something different about having that level of awareness when you see the data in front of you. Right. They're like, oh, oh, yeah, that, oh, it does really matter. Right. You know, biofeedback. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> but. <laughs> right. No, there's no. All right, so we're just about out of time, but let's let's just recap. There are there are people that really 
give a lot of thought to this. There's a lot of structure. There's a there's whole professions and lots of literature behind whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or like Dr. Nelson said, neurology and actually yeah, how the psych and the neurology are sort of merging. And then as physiologists, Mike and I trying to get a, uh, our fingers on the pulse of this, right, almost literally – uh, whether Mike's using heart rate variability, you know, to look at your sympathetic drive and or whether I'm using questionnaires about how well you've slept or what your appetite is like or what your motivation is like on a seven scale. So there's a lot of things that go into monitoring yourself uh, and and even setting up the, the environment for the behavior in the beginning, you know, the, set the stage so you can succeed because fat, if fat loss was easy, we wouldn't have such an obesity epidemic, right? It's a, it's a, it's an issue, and it's not, it's not just oh, I have unlimited willpower. No, everybody has a finite amount of willpower, and like I said, by the time you're 20 weeks later, you're diving across the finish line. You got to give this some thought and think of the different lifestyle, uh, you know, and behavioral issues you have, so you can you can overcome it. Honestly, I think that's one of the be- big benefits of having a coach. Just just like K- Kelly's a helper that helps people help themselves, right? Uh, Mike, when you work with clients, you're that you're that voice of reason that helps that, you know, them have that neutral third-party perspective, I guess. Yeah, and especially just being accountable and I explain it to clients as I'm, you know, want to think of myself being there next to you, helping you, not, you know, some person on top of the mountain that's just chucking information down at you and, well, good luck with all that. <laughs> right. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. That's going to be it uh, this week, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week. We have some pretty cool guests lined up here, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you guys. Thanks, Kelly. Yep. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, 
please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.